You're listening to a podcast from Burley Heads Church of Christ, from Burley Heads on the Gold Coast. Hey everyone, welcome. It's great you can join us. Um, Look, just a quick little invitation if it's okay. If you are enjoying this series or you're enjoying today's, um, we would love, I know it's a simple, silly thing, but we would love you to hit like and we'd love you to hit subscribe. And um, even if you don't mind sharing our videos around, um, it just helps know that people want this content. It helps people know that they're watching this content and it helps us just know, is it helpful to you? It gives us some sort of feedback. This does take a lot of time, a lot of cost, and um, we love doing it, uh, but we just want to know that it's it's received well. And it, it, in a sense, it's worth our time. It is contributing to the kingdom. And so please let us know in those simple ways. That would be much appreciated. Um, we are in this Leviticus series, but first, I just kind of want to tell you about the transition that I, I made about four or five years ago from associate pastor at a church to senior pastor of a local church. I, um, I never forget when it kicked in from being part of a team to essentially running the organization or running the place. Um, it was within the first few weeks, someone would come up to me and say, hey, Steve, um, we have a bit of an issue here or we need this fixed or or there's something not quite working in this area. And I remember having this thought, I better go tell someone about that that can fix that or I better go tell who's in charge. <laughs> and it was this realisation early on making that transition that, oh, that's me. <laughs> there was no one, oh, I have to make a call on that decision. And I don't know if you found yourself like that in that transition to suddenly becoming someone that could quickly go ask the boss to someone that finds themselves in charge, leading a group, leading a team, leading a church and going, oh, that's my responsibility. <laughs> and so that's kind of what I want to talk about today. But first of all, Let's um let's go from Leviticus 8. I'm going to read through a little bit of that. I'm going to talk about this group of people that start taking responsibility for um, those, or essentially the Leviticus, the priests, that start taking responsibility for this group, this tribe, these, these people that we've been following. Leviticus 8. The Lord spoke to Moses saying, Take Aaron and his sons with him and the garments and the anointing oil and the bull of the sin offering and the two rams and the basket of unleavened bread and assemble all the congregation at the entrance of the tent of meeting. Everybody needs to be there. God's going to do something. Show them something. And Moses did as the Lord commanded him. And the congregation was assembled at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And Moses said to the congregation, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded to be done. And Moses brought Aaron and his sons and washed them with water. He put a coat on him and tied the sash around his waist, clothed him with a robe and put the epaul on him and tied skillfully woven band of epaul around him, binding it to him with the band. And he placed the breastpiece on him and in the breastpiece he put the ermine and the thermon and he set the turban on his head and on the turban in front He set the golden plate, the holy crown, as the Lord commanded Moses. We've been in this series in Leviticus. So far within seven chapters, we've covered the initial sacrificial rhythms of repentance, reflection, worship, and gratitude. 
If you haven't been with us in each week, it's it's all online. So you can you can catch up if this is the first time you're joining us. In fact, we encourage you to do that. And so there's been this journey, this series of an exploration of this kind of order that God has given this tribe, a reordering to center him back in this community and build something, build a kingdom, as we've discussed. And now at the end of seven chapters, the direction slightly shifts. We're given a group of people, the priests, a family, Aaron, this family line, this tribe of Levi. In other words, (laughs) the Leviticus, this whole book is instructions to this group, this family. Priests or leaders were obviously um, common practice in multiple tribes at that time. Um, And so there's so many layers in what they were dressed in. There's so many things that are unconfirmed and even unknown exactly what the practices were at this time. But either way, the congregation would be familiar with some of this stuff as they'd seen other people have leaders and priests and ceremonies. But here is God declaring the leaders of this leaders, (laughs) the priests of the nation that would eventually become priests. And again, we could spend all year going through the symbolism here and still not cover it. So just at the moment, I want to just take a short look at what this, the underlining themes and principles under this group of people. God calls Moses. Moses with God hands it the authority over to a people. They're called a practice, chapters 1 to 7, these rhythms. And then he goes on to give this authority, this leadership onto this group of priests. There's verses in in this chapter about blood. He gets blood from the ram and puts it on the ears and the toes. And multiple scholars have different meanings of this, but I I guess their favorite one is that it's this idea of these priests being whatever they hear, whatever they do, wherever they go, they're called to witness to Yahweh. Whatever they hear, whatever they do, whatever they go, they're called to be the representation of Yahweh's physical presence in that tribe that would become a nation. It then goes on, there's a piecemeal with God, a seven-day ordination process, and then they're to spend um, this time in the seven days at the entrance of the tent after seven chapters. <laughs> if you notice me saying a number multiple times, there's a reason for this, that God is telling the congregation and us a greater story. He wants them to think about another thing in the word of God that revolves around seven, and that is a creation story. God knew that those watching these seven practices in the seven days, (laughs) he knew that they'd be thinking about the order of creation. God is creating something here. He's building something here in this nation. These instructions first, giving it to people, it's a way way to feel right with God, to build their connection, and now he's building this tribe, this family to represent God, to practice these rhythms, to point to this new way, this new freedom. And these people with the blood on their ears and their toes are now witnesses, leaders to God's holiness. They are witnesses to his holiness. So you have this tent in which God's presence hovers above. You have a single man who gets instructions, but now is a family within a larger family and now gives these instructions 
as tangible reminders of God's presence in that tent. And they point to what is holy and they protect what is holy. Not for the sake of it, but so God's transformation can expand. God's will can be done. He doesn't just give them all these ceremonies just because he wants to see, I don't know, he thinks it'd be fun. It's not Lego bricks. It's not. He's not playing with us. It's all for a greater purpose, all for a greater growth and transformation of these people. As we've discussed multiple times, Exodus 19.4, this is the greater vision of God. He tells us, you yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The story continues into chapter 9 where it gets dramatic, and we'll talk about that in the next part. (laughs) But for now, I just want to ask kind of three questions of this story, three questions of this ever-growing, expanding plan of God's that we now look at around 3,000 years later. If this is an expanding kingdom, if all these things are both helpful for them, but also signs of things to come, representations of a greater kingdom, then here are three questions I want to explore. Number one, 3,000 years later, who are the priests today? It's number one. Number two, what's the tent? There's this tent of meeting. There's this tent of presence. Where's the tent today? And number three, if we can establish who the priests are today, Where do they work if not in the tribe? Who are the priests today? Where's the tent? (laughs) And what do the priests do today? Who are the priests? Where is the tent? And where do the priests work? Let's read some passages to explore this in the New Testament and hopefully that helps us establish securely what this looks like. 1 Peter 2 says this. Again, we've been in Peter a lot as kind of this New Testament mirror to Leviticus, um, explaining the transition. Obviously, Jesus came in the middle there. And so what that meant to the law. Let me explain. 1 Peter 2. So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk. And by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house. Again, talking about this transformation, this growing, this expansion, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ, for it stands in Scripture. Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honour is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone of stumbling a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word and they were as they were destined to do. But you are the chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, 
that you may proclaim the excellence of him who called out of the darkness into his marvellous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you've received mercy. Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honourable, so that when you speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Peter, talking about this expansion, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Talking to the Jews, but then expanding that and talking to all those that have become part of God's family through Jesus. And we read in Revelations 1.4, John to the seven churches that are in Asia, grace to you. This is again to the church and peace from him who is and who is and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before this throne, if you don't know Revelations, very poetic, <laughs> symbolic. So we're not going to read a lot of it, but Stay with me around the theme of this. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings on earth. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, made us priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he is coming with a cloud and every eye will see, even those who pierced him. And all tribes of the earth will wail on account of him. Even so. Amen. Many, many verses saying the same thing right through the Bible. What's it trying to say? What am I trying to say? Well, the Bible's clear 3,000 years later. God's plan has continued to play out as he had planned. We haven't always been great in helping it. (laughs) We've been horrible. We've acted against it, humankind that is. But God's plan has continued and and Jesus coming the ultimate high priest, the one we could tangibly look to, watch his rhythms. We can read about his life. We can live with his spirit, his teaching, his death, his life. It is clear we are the priests. He's the high priest. But if you know Jesus, if you are a Christian, it is clear you are now the priest. And in fact, get this, it also talks about us being the tent. (laughs) We are also the temple of the Holy Spirit. So just like Steve with his job, or me, (laughs) I'm talking about myself in a third person, just like me, but realizing, oh, it's my responsibility now. There's a moment here as we read about these priests, as we read about this representation, these witnesses to the holy we suddenly realize as we read about them, if we are Christians, we are now called to be those witnesses. You are the priests. I just want to sit on this for a moment. We'll get to the third question in a moment of what we do. But what a scary, what a humbling, what even a controversial possibly idea for us as we consider that we are the carrier of God's presence. You are called to create, to build, to point and protect to what is holy. Where? Well, to the ends of the earth, everywhere. 
Why do I say controversial? You may say, well, I don't know about you, but that's if I really take that in, that's that's daunting. It's dangerous even. It's confronting. I know churches, I see churches, and we all do this, we kind of try to box that back in. If we really take the time to consider that we are the priests, that we are the living, breathing witnesses to what Jesus is doing in us and in this world, in this whole world, sometimes it's so scary. I reckon churches, we try to, we in Christians, we try to box it back in quickly, get it back in the box. We kind of want to put the spirit back in the tent, <laughs> the church back in the four walls. We quickly try to put that anointing just onto one or two within the church rather than us taking it on. Don't get me wrong. There's New Testament callings for pastors. But for pastors is not to be Jesus everywhere. My job is not to be Jesus in your home, <laughs> your work, your environment. I don't even know where you work. <laughs> I don't know your workmates. That's... Not my calling. I get it, though. It's way easier to push it onto. You might be at another church with another leader. It's way easier to push that call onto them because it's way easier to think, well, they should now care. They should love. They should be generous. They should heal. They should speak words of wisdom. And sure, that is true. But this is a gentle reminder that you are a priest too. Some of you will know this as a common kind of, I don't know if it's, it's a brethren, it's my denomination, Church of Christ. There's a, there's a saying, they say, priesthood of all believers. You would have heard this before. It's kind of a war cry for some churches. And sometimes I appreciate it because it's true. <laughs> but sometimes it's used as a bit of a weapon or out of context. And that's not necessarily the way I want to use it today. Let me clarify Sometimes it's used as a way to box it in. Sometimes the mantra of priesthood of all believers is a way to kind of, if I can explain, within the box of the church to have, say you have 150 at a church, to believe that 150, that church needs 150 priests inside the box. <laughs> and so suddenly a decision around moving a banner, a wall colour, where someone stands on stage wearing a tie, should hats be allowed to be worn? Suddenly, churches become distracted in thinking that's 150 to 1,000 people's decision. Part of a role that I have with my denomination is I get to see churches. I get to see healthy and I get to see unhealthy churches. It's a blessing and it's hard sometimes. Painting with broad strokes here, maybe being a bit too pointed, nearly every church that I see where there is somebody walking around going, it's the priesthood of all believers, is usually a dying church. It's probably normally got about five or six left because they have taken this concept and just boxed it into four walls where everyone's a priest. Everyone gets to decide what colour the grout needs to be in between the tiles. <laughs> Where they put the communion doilies. Because priesthood of all believers, right? 
usually means someone's in charge, but it's no longer the ordained, discerned leadership team, the one voted in. It's usually the loudest, angriest priest in the priesthood of believers. You may not believe me in this, maybe uncomfortable to hear, but this is a reality in Australian churches across lots of denominations. They've boxed it in. We are the priesthood of all believers. When we look at these priests, the witnesses to what is holy, that is us. But where do we work? We work wherever we are, everywhere. We've got to get outside of the box. Yes, we need to communicate. Yes, we need leaders within our church. Yes, we need to talk and wrestle and talk about sometimes tiles and paint colours. But that's the secondary work almost. Because almost immediately after we gather and we grow together, we need to go, move, live, serve, love, be Jesus out there. They need us. And that's way more scary. I understand that. It's way more wisdom and discernment on being a priest in your workplace or with your neighbours. It's hard. I get it's way scarier than doily colour or wall colour or preaching topic. And that's why we need to meet together and encourage each other. But it is the reality of what the Bible tells us is God's ultimate plan. So it's just one rhythm I encourage us today. As we look at this group of peoples, we start to unpack what a priest does. And we're going to continue that in the next few parts. But it's to realize that we are the priests, that you are the priests. And it's a rhythm of knowing and being sent. Let me say that again. Rhythm I'd like to encourage today is a rhythm of knowing and being sent to know that you have been sent. Let me encourage that to be maybe your first prayer in the morning or the last prayer at night. Maybe it looks like the necklace, the cross necklace. Maybe it looks like something to remind yourself that you are sent to wherever you are. If you're praying for your neighbour at the moment, your loud, noisy, party animal neighbours, and you're going, God, send someone. (laughs) Send someone that is anointed. Send someone that can witness to my neighbours to be quiet or to find Jesus. Then I'm so sorry to alert you. (laughs) He has sent someone. It's you. If you're in your workplace and you're looking around and it's lonely, there's people that are lonely sitting by themselves and you think, God, send someone for that lady that's the, the widow. She looks lonely at the moment in my workplace. Send someone brave to go speak to her. I've got good and bad news for you. (laughs) He has sent someone. It's you. In the shopping centre, people sitting by themselves, ladies struggling or man struggling to pay for the groceries. The parent struggling with their kids saying, God, send someone to help them. He has. You're there. It's you. You are the priest. In God's great big unfolding plan, he has called you to go to witness to what is holy. Remind yourself that you are sent, a rhythm of knowing you are sent. Let me pray almost a commissioning prayer now as we finish up. We're going to continue unpacking this, but let me pray for you wherever you are.
that at least for today, it's a reminder that it's you. You are sent. You are the priest in in your area. Let me pray. Father, we just acknowledge that this has been an unfolding plan. We thank you for the book of Leviticus as we unpack it, Lord. And we look at this group of people over the next few weeks that are called the priests and what they do. (laughs) But Father, let this just today be a reminder that that's not a separate calling, that we are all called to priests in different areas, some into church leadership and decisions and looking after the gathering or the assembly. Others, most of us, it's in our careers, in our workplaces, in our streets, in our neighbourhoods, in our networks, Father. And so, Father, give us a renewed sense of that anointing as Aaron and his sons did with the oil on their heads, Lord. Give us right now a new sense that we are sent, that we are your priesthood into all the world, not doing our own strength but looking to the great high priest as an inspiration, as a way, as a truth, empowered by its spirit, your spirit, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I look forward to seeing you at the next part.